You know, no one likes a smart aleck. Somebody who carries themselves with a spirit of arrogance, know-it-all, I'm kind of, you know, pretty awesome. It's just off-putting. No one likes that. It's particularly hard to cope with when it comes from a young person to an adult. And there were times when, you know, the phrase that used to be out there, do parents still use this? I don't know. But when maybe we were feeling a little too big for our britches, remember the phrase? Or was that just in Chicago? Did any of you hear that phrase before? A little too big for your britches. And when that happened in our home, my mom would come with something that sounded like this. Just who do you think you are, Buster? And that would be followed with, I'll hit you so hard you'll land on Oakton Street. Oakton Street was from our home to about the uh, hobo house. So it was going to be a good a good knocking that she gave us, all right? Funny thing is, I don't recall ever my mom hitting me, but I do recall her threatening. So apparently the threats were working because she didn't have to uh, ever have to haul off and actually slug me. Our text today deals with this very question. Who do you think you are? But with an entirely different tone. A tone with which Paul is pleading Understand who you are. Understand the privileged place that you have in God's redemptive work. Understand your identity, please. Don't let anyone take from you the reality as to who you are. And our text today is our actual memory verse is Colossians 2.8. You'll see if you look at the little card. I think we maybe gave you some context verses to go with that. Yes, we did. Go ahead and memorize them all, okay? It's worth having that entire thought there. Um, it's worth it. But Colossians 2.8, Paul is addressing this question. And the reason he's needing to address the question is there's happening within Colossae, there's a strong, and it's in the landscape, we've mentioned this, but there's this, it's, it's primarily Gentile, so it's bringing in its pagan ideas, and then there's a strong enough of a Jewish emphasis that they're bringing in religious legalism from the Jewish background. It's all getting mixed together, and it is all twisting their understanding of the gospel, and so much so that Epaphras... Uh, uh, came to Paul when he was in Rome to say, hey, we're having an issue here. And Paul sends this letter back to say, let's get a couple of things clear here about what Christ has accomplished. And one of those things I want you to be clear on is your identity, who you are. And so in, in calling them back to a clear understanding of the gospel, Paul writes this, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. He says, beware, be on the lookout for this. Because it's happening around you. I'm getting a report from Epaphras that says, man, we're, we're getting a little, we're straying from the truth of the gospel. Beware lest anyone cheat you. 
The idea there is to take you captive. I love, I, I love the phraseology that says that literally it means to carry you off as booty. They're just going to come in. They're just going to. They're going to make you theirs, carry you off, and they now are going to tell you what to think about who you are and how to live, and uh, and and place all of this stuff upon you. And in light of that, I I think if we were to rephrase it in some more current language, what he might actually tell them in this day and age is very simply, "Hey, you guys in Colossae, the." Don't get owned. Don't get owned. And that is what he's fighting for. So he says, let no one judge you. In verse uh, 16, we're going to jump down, then we're going to come back, fill in some spaces. Let no one judge you. You got people trying to judge you with food, with drink, regarding festivals, new moon, Sabbaths. These are the things that they're bringing upon you. They are simply a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. You're missing the whole point when you're getting caught up in these. And then he uses that that cheating word again. Let no one cheat you out of your reward. Taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen. Vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. You're getting caught up in these religious things. You're getting caught up in this philosophical stuff that's coming to you from the pagan influence in Colossae, from the, the, the Jewish legalism there. It's all getting blown in and mixed together and you're falling prey to it. And it's separating you from the magnificence of what you have in Jesus Christ and who you are. So he says in verse 20, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, the interesting word there, and we'll come back in terms of maybe give you a sense as to how, uh, how we might apply it today. But it's the, it's the elemental stuff of life as people were interpreting it in that day, from their philosophical or religious viewpoints. He said, if people are coming up with crazy ideas, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations, things that are not required of you uh, in the gospel? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things, they have an appearance, isn't that interesting? They have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body. So they look good. They look real religious. They sound good. They sound religious. They sound like, wow, that probably makes sense. That probably is something I need to follow. I need to come under those regulations because, right? Because we, in the world of religion, we got to make things right with God. We got to do it. And so these are the right things I should do. And I feel good when I do these things. And it makes me feel holy and, and like I'm making things right with God. Some of that asceticism that sneaks in with the neglect of the body. He says, but they're of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. The real issue of sin, the real problem that we have within our sin nature, with our desire to do our own things, none of this stuff helps any of that. 
And that's where the problem lies. And that's where Christ has done his work. Is the indulgence of our flesh, our desire uh, to walk against the things of God. And he says, you're missing the whole point with all of these religious, false religious practices. So don't get owned. (laughs) Now, getting owned, here's what I mean by this, is when we allow someone or something to define us and to shape our behavior contrary to our redemption in Christ. To define us and shape our behavior contrary to our redemption in Christ. And that's what was happening with these people. And he's saying, watch out. Don't let that happen. Now, you guys are probably at least somewhat aware. I, I think in, that, in, in the cultures in that day, and I'm making a general statement, and, and I, I hope I'm not too far off with it, so forgive me if I am. They lived life differently. There, was the, there were things like public squares, and people who would speak in public squares, and, and, and their voices would go out, and they had temples that were pagan temples, and, and uh, probably a Jewish synagogue here, and, and there was this stuff around them all the time influencing them. And uh, again, Trent, I don't know how many times I find myself referencing your experience and what you brought home with us, with you from Nepal, but you remember you're describing, Trent, how as you move through the city, there's all these places where people are putting out their little things to their gods, right? And their little food and their little tributes to their god. And they were all over, right? They're all over. So that's constantly, I think it, the, the culture was more like that where it was all over. And people were seeing it all the time. They're constantly being exposed to it. So it's seeping into their understanding of life and the gospel. I think we live a far more isolated if, if that's the right word, uh, and if not isolated, encapsulated, maybe that's it. We live in our, with our little bubbles, and we don't go through town and see all stuff like this. We, didn't, we don't go, you know, throughout our area, and you go out and you, and you want to look at the flooding that's taking place out by the Red River. Did you pass any temples? Did you see offerings made to pagan gods? Nothing. Okay, we live in an area where we tend to go into our homes, and we're within our homes. And that's where we live our lives. And so I, I think the way we're going to get deceived and brought into philosophical uh, misappropriations will be different in our day and age. So if I could, I'd like to throw out a couple of things that I, I think may be impacting us. And you guys will think of others, so there's no way we can ever, ever be um, uh, exhaustive when we talk about these kinds of things. So, the philosophy and empty deceits of this day and age. I think there's one that perhaps kids in particular are afflicted with, but it happens among adults, I'm sure. And I've had a couple of different sources tell me from a couple of different schools, so it's not just like right here in New Folden, because I've asked people, is bullying a problem in your context? And they're like, yep, it is. And... As I've thought about this, I am contemplating whether or not the bullying in this day and age isn't, this maybe seems like an overstatement, but I do mean it, that there's a parallel, the violence of Genesis chapter 6. Let's remind ourselves that in Genesis chapter 6, when God cleansed the earth, 
we tend to stop at the thing, well, all man's thoughts were only evil all the time. And we miss then verse 11 and verse 13 in chapter 6, God specifically says the earth is filled with violence and might makes right, was making right in that day and age. And the powerful were oppressing the weak. And it had gotten so bad, God says, we've got to start this thing over. And Noah found grace in his eyes, right? Well, that tells us something about the heart of man. The heart of man very readily moves towards, you know what, if i got the power, I don't mind dominating over you. I don't mind putting you down if I've got the power. I, that's our natural tendency. So in the world where we now live, uh, we don't... We don't allow people to just go off and kill one another like was happening in that day and age. God instituted capital punishment after the flood. Uh, So that doesn't happen as readily. But there are places where we will do violence to one another. But here's here's the thing. I remember being bullied as a kid. Okay, It's hard to believe that a guy with my stature... Just tall, you know, as, as that with, with my physique, okay? I know it's hard to believe that there were some guys who might feel free to bully me. But here's how it took place in our day and age, right? It's simply the bigger, stronger kids beating down the younger kids, either verbally or physically, if need be, right? or, or if they wanted to. They got by with what they, whatever they could. The thing is, when you went home, you got away from it. I had one route that I could walk home from grade school, and I'm telling you the truth. One time, my friend and I were walking home, and one of these bully-type kids jumps out of a tree on us. He had literally, you know, figured out how to ambush us. I, I, could, I still have this vision of looking up, and there he is, and we're off and running, right? But what could we do? <laughs> we could take a different route home. I don't think I'll walk that way home any, ever again. You could escape it. And what I'm hearing is kids can't escape it in this day and age. Because we lock ourselves into our homes, and then they go online, and there it is with all the social media. And if somebody wants to abuse them, they abuse them. And they can't get away from it. And so it's constant. And there's nowhere to run. And that happens within the context of our day, which is why I see it as today's, today's violence of Genesis 6 is if I can put you down, I have, no, I have no qualms about putting you down. I have no qualms about making you look foolish, about embarrassing you in front of all these other people out here on social media. And, you know, my understanding is it's, it's what has led for some kids. It's been so serious that some kids have taken their own lives. That's a, that's a real problem. Okay, well, what they were buying in They were buying into what was being said in some fashion. They were letting it impact their perception of themselves and certainly their behavior. Well, how desperately sad is that? So there's just a, a means in which we may be running into this philosophy and empty deceit in our day and age, particularly with our kids. And how sad for that. But I think there's, there's other ways in which we can be confronted with it. How about straightforward abusive dysfunction? You're no good. You're worthless. You're hopeless. You're helpless. You'll never amount to anything. Lori and I were glad to see that Robert Irvine is back with Restaurant Impossible. And he goes in and he fixes restaurants that are failing. 
He's very hard-nosed and very, very direct with correcting the owners as to what's wrong with their restaurant. And the one that was on last night, as uh, he needs to bring word to this woman why her restaurant is failing, and she's asked him to come in. But when he tells her, these are the problems and these are the areas where you need to change, she is furious at him for telling her what she's doing wrong. And he's like, you asked me to come in. But as they worked it through, it came to understand the real issue was not what he was telling her, because it was true. The numbers indicated your restaurant's failing. The real issue she ultimately came out with was, had a stepmom. Stepmom said I'd never amount to anything. Stepmom said I was hopeless. And I would never accomplish a thing. So I can't bear to hear you tell me I'm failing. I can't hear it. See, the stepmom had offered her a philosophy and a vain deceit that was impacting her sense of who she was. Even if it was only impacting it that I'm not going to be that. And I'm not going to, it's impacting it. And how she was going to behave. So she could not receive correction that would truly help her. Right? How many of us live with something that was just abusive dysfunction? Some of us sitting here remember those, those things that were said to us. And some of us sitting here are still wrestling with their impact upon us. How about passive dysfunction? See, in my home, we would never be allowed to put each other down that way. We would, abusive dysfunction, verbal you are this, you are that, never allowed in our home. We would be called out on that immediately. You do not treat people that way. However, what my parents never caught on to was the passive dysfunction they communicated every day. And the passive dysfunction, not intentional because it came out of their own pain, it said things like this, And they wouldn't even say they said they believed this, but it's what was communicated. That's why I say it's passive. Wealth defines worth. Beauty defines worth. Popularity defines worth. Accomplishment defines worth. Intelligence defines worth. Your work defines worth. And when you're raised in a setting where all of those things are put forth and you know that as a family you're not really living up to them, guess what? You come away dysfunctional. It impacts who you are and how you live. And it can bear deep wounding without anybody ever intending to wound you as in an outright abusive situation. But there's, a, there's another one that I'd like to say. These are the things, these philosophy and vain deceits that can be impacting us. So it's not quite like the religion and philosophies that they were exposed to in Colossae, but it's just as real and is going to just as really impact our understanding of who we are and how we're living out our lives. And the last one I would just like to point on, and as I say, it's not exhaustive, but I would like to throw this one out, insecurity. Being made to feel insecure about this redemptive work that God is doing in our lives. And... um, I think the insecurity, one of those places that that infuses that insecurity in us is this area of science. And and we believe that 
Science has all answers. And so I'd like to, we've got a three-minute clip here. A guy by the name of Dr. Charles Jackson, and it's in the middle of a, a, of a video that I was watching. And the title of the video is Bacteria Are Not Evolving Resistance to Antibiotics. If you want to go ahead and listen to it, go ahead. It's a two-hour video. So you may not get real excited about hearing about bacteria for two hours. I was thrilled to listen to it, okay? Because I'm that nerdy guy. All right, so that's how that is. But I want you to listen, and he's going to reference... Um, Stephen Hawking, so this is about two years old now. Stephen Hawking has died, but he's going to reference him. And uh, just notice how something that, that he says, okay? Darwin's theory gets out of professors' mouths in the classrooms associated with this. It gets printed in the textbooks associated with this. But the real scientists, whether they believe in evolution or not, uh, uh, the real scientists are not employing Darwinian theory to have a great march on of the science of curing diseases. It's, it's absolutely useless in curing diseases. It's useless in real hands-on results in science. All it is is an ethereal pipe dream that, frankly, the devil uses to make people feel like they don't owe God anything. After all, we used to be bacteria. We then became worms. And I always like to say we pulled ourselves up by our little worm bootstraps, and we became people, and we did it all by ourselves. No thanks to God, whether he exists or not. We did it ourselves, and we are the gods. We made ourselves. Uh, Stephen Hawking used to be nice, about people who believed in God. God was mentioned in a sort of a lyrical way in his book, The Brief History of Time. But lately he's been getting a little meaner about it and less tolerant. I think that's peer pressure from the other scientists, really. Um, but he said that uh, because we know that the universe made itself and life made itself and we evolved, even if there is a God, it doesn't matter. Even if there is a God, it doesn't matter. He's irrelevant. Um, after all, we made ourselves bring this around full circle, brothers and sisters. This is the original lie of Satan. Look, I've been studying those Ezekiel things about Lucifer, son of the morning, you know, who walked amidst the stones of fire and how he was cast down and, and because of his merchandising and his trade uh, and all the stuff he could do um, a fire began to burn in him and then God burned it brighter and it destroyed him and, and sent him to ashes his pride I will be like the most high I will ascend to the throne of the Almighty I will he had the five I wills I will be God and he infected our race with that sinful irrational against the rest of the nature of the universe dream of his ye shall be as gods evolution says we're gods if there's no god and we made ourselves we're the creator or the force or something like that you know i mean if you want to believe and that's the root of humanism that humans are god we are the god thing it gods in all of us you know um 
Well, anyway, I went a little That's further good. than the quote there. Thank but you, I wanted Jeff. to see. What Appreciate that. See, Fred, here's the point of that. Kind of, well, where does that fit into anything? We've got students going off to college, and they're hearing their professors speak in these terms and about evolution and how it's clearly, it's obviously the truth, and they become insecure. They don't know how to refute this. They don't know where to go with this. And that's the whole point of this particular video. He's saying, you know, we always hear about how bacteria are, are evolving to be superbugs. And he's like, no, they're not. And he explains why. But that's not what we hear in the classroom. And then so our young people go, they get subjected to that. And we can buy into what they're saying, not grounded in the truth of redemption. And, and the reason I wanted you to hear this in particular, I thought if there's anything now, I said I'd come back to this, anything that works from elementary principles, is it not this theory? That there was this slime and a little DNA and a little bacteria and then that developed and this developed and this developed and this developed. And, this developed. and that's where it started, with the elementary principles. That's why I wanted to utilize him that you would that you would hear him now it sounds very self-aggrandizing that we will be like gods but you have to understand within that worldview you're the god of nothing because there's no meaning to anything there's no significance there's no purpose it is all random chance with chemistry and matter and there's no real purpose to your life to your existence to anything that you do, that's ultimately where it goes. So it sounds uplifting. It is actually quite demeaning. Now, I'm just saying there's a philosophy. There's a vain deception that is there that we can get sucked into, and it drags our young people off from understanding the redemptive work of who Christ is, and they decide they don't need that anymore. May I please say... I am not against science. You're hearing me say that, right? Because I recall years ago when we were living up in Lake Bronson, and I told you this, going to hear a speaker who was, uh, he was doing a week of meetings, and he, he came in, and he was going to, one night he's going to talk about the next meeting was going to be about the greatest enemy to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, man, i got to hear this, science. What? Science in itself is no enemy to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It simply is not. Now, men misusing it, men reaching assumptions and working from, uh, from uh, philosophies and empty deceptions, that's a problem. But I love what I'm hearing is happening in science. Do you know, do you, have, have you paid attention to this? In the last, two, about two weeks ago, one of the things that hit the news is they came out with the first ever picture of black holes. Did you see that? fascinating. And what they tell you, so we can't actually, we can't, you can't actually give you a picture of the black hole because no light comes from it. But what, what they were able to do is they were able to give images of what they call the event perimeter around the black hole where what stuff gets into that, it cannot escape out of the black hole and it's going to be drawn in. And that is what they could give a picture of. Absolutely fascinating to see that they could do that. And then this week, 
What now, because I click on these things on my phone, because I like to click on the science stuff and I've given up on the political stuff, it's like, wait, this is way more fun. Right? So then I, my phone starts feeding me this stuff, right? This week, the big thing is that the universe is expanding at a rate different than what they thought. How interesting is that? No question that the universe is expanding. That, forms, that falls within our understanding of the Bible. That's not a problem. But the rate at which it is expanding is different. And one of the articles said, they may, the guys are making, saying, we may have to recalculate some of our stuff we're doing in the world of physics. We may do, maybe don't understand things quite right. There are things we don't know yet. There's things that are requiring more research. What I'm excited about with this stuff, people, here, is this. And why I'm willing to put it all out there. When I went through college and I got my degree in biology and I was steeped in secular evolution, I only knew of one little organization... And, it was, and the name of the organization was the Institute for Creation Research. And there were two well-known names with that, one Henry Morris and one Dwayne Gish. And they were the only people I know fighting for a biblical interpretation of the data we see in science. But I was so glad they were out there because when I came up against questions that I knew I can't answer that, I don't have enough of the science behind me, I knew there are people working on it. And now... Now there's at least a half a dozen organizations out there where a lot of these people, it appears to me, or at least a good number of them, they were looking at what was out there in science and realizing everything they've been told is not adding up. And as one guy, a guy by the name of Spike, okay, he said, people assume that the reason I, that I'm a Christian is because I was raised that way and that's why I'm approaching the Bible the way I am. He's like, I was raised as an atheist and evolutionist. And he said, I first became a theist, realizing that we can't see what we see around us through random processes. Then, after that, so I believed in God, and then after that, I came to understand the gospel and came to faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? But there's a whole lot of scientists out there who this is their story. So, here's the point. One, I'm not against science. But science is a place where it can breed great insecurity and with philosophy and vain deceit drive us away from who we are in Christ. Maybe even get us to the point where we say, my life simply doesn't matter. My life is meaningless. Paul would say, hey, beware lest anyone cheats you or carries you off as booty. Don't let others define you. Define you, don't get owned. That's his first point. Beware. (laughs) Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, not according to Christ. Don't let them cheat you. Second thing he says is, know whose you are. W-H-O-S-E. Whose you are. He goes on to say, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. What I love in that description is there are three superlatives that he lays out in those two verses in trying to uh, uh, remind the Colossians as to whose they are, where their real identity is found. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's total incarnation. All of the Godhead, all of the nature of God, 
took up residence in Jesus Christ. That's the Christmas story, remember? And it wasn't like some part of God, some neat emanation from God, some little thing in order to give us a hint that God exists. No, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily resided and does reside in Jesus Christ. So it's total incarnation, the totality of the Godhead incarnated in Christ. That's number one. Secondly is total restoration. And you are complete in Him. You're complete. Everything that you need, everything that you are, everything that you are becoming, everything effective to make you who you were originally intended to be had the fall never happened, you find all of it in Him. You are complete in Him. Huh. Total restoration. And you've heard me give you Romans 8.29, whom He foreknew He did predestine to be conformed to the image of His Son. We're going to be made back like God. Remember, as, as the, uh, Dr. Jackson pointed out, right? <laughs> The evil one said, hey, you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil, and all it did was diminish us. We're never going to be gods, but we are designed to be in the image of God. And we're being restored into that. When we're restored into Christ's likeness, who is what? Total incarnation. Huh, what do you know? We're going to be made back into all of that, so we don't need to be looking elsewhere for something else. We're complete in Him. And then, he who is the head of all principality and power, it's total domination. Jesus Christ is Lord over his entire creation. And Colossians actually speaks of that, about he's the one, he is the agent of creation, okay? And he is, he is the one in control over the entire universe, We read now, coming back to verses 11, I told you I'd come back to this. In Him, in Him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Remember, circumcision was a mark of the Old Covenant, that they were the people of God. There's a spiritual circumcision that has marked us by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So we're part of that. And perhaps he's saying that because there are people trying to bring in the law and get people to live back under the law from that Jewish entity, okay? Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So we're completely identified in his death, burial, and resurrection. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You catch that? Having forgiven you all trespasses. We've been made alive together with him. All trespasses have been forgiven. He has accomplished everything that's necessary, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. We Paul is referencing there the, the, the uh, plaque called an acetabulum that was placed upon a cross, which when people were crucified, it, this, it listed what their offenses were. He says he took these offenses that were real for us, 
And they were nailed to his cross. And now they are wiped out because he has paid the penalty. Having disarmed, isn't this wonderful? Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The principalities and powers is a reference to the angelic realm, and in this particular case, it is a reference to the evil half side of that angelic realm that rebelled against God, and he has dominion over them. So if this is the one whose you are, why? Yes. Why are you letting yourself be subjected to all these crazy philosophies, false religions, deceptions that take, take you out of understanding, hey, who do you think you are? I want you to know who you are. I want you to understand that in Christ, you're everything you're going to ever need to be. So this as we're wrapping this up, re- brings us to this question, who or what is defining us? Who or what is defining us? We're complete in Christ. Those things that enslave us are contra- that, and that are contrary to the truth of who we are in Christ can be readily rejected. Say, nope, not doing that anymore, not living that lie anymore, not embracing that lie anymore. I'm done because in Christ, I am complete. Now, this is an easy question to throw out, friends. I'm telling you, it's easy. Who, uh, who or what is defining us? But I'm, I'm going to now follow it up with this one little note. For many of us, and I know it to be true because it's my journey. For many of us, real personal work needs to be done here. Real personal work needs to be done to ask this question, who or what is defining us and shaping our behavior? Think of the Robert Irvine lady on his show. She was was just being driven because of comments from a stepmom, accusations from a stepmom. Are we willing to identify those voices that drive us, those voices that deceive us, those voices that have been there for years telling us things about ourselves that are not real in Jesus, who we are in Jesus Christ. See, they're philosophies and vain deceits and they're cheating us. Here's another thought. The evil one will try and get us at this particular point. We shall be as gods. Again, he mentioned it. Let's remind ourselves as we want to break away from the things of God and we hear that temptation, the evil one claims to uplift us but always diminishes us. We can be gods of useless, meaningless, random existence. Big deal. So reject the lie and the liar. Reject them. Let Scripture fill our minds and our hearts with the truth that is ours and the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So, beware, beware, he says. That's where it began, right? Beware, lest any man spoil you. Or, excuse me, that's the old King James. Uh, Cheat you is what we have uh, in the new King James. Beware of the taunts of the bully. Beware of the outright uh, abusive dysfunction. Beware of the incipient passive dysfunction. Beware of the lies of the evil one. And affirm again and again and again 
your completeness in Christ. And Evan, thank you again for your ministry, buddy, because we're singing those songs, and this line jumps out, I will preach the gospel to myself. I'm not a man condemned. I don't know if I got that second line right, but I got to write that down. I'm not a man condemned. You see, we, have to, we will need to affirm this over and over and over and hear the word of God, the redemptive truth that is in Jesus Christ to deliver us from these philosophies and empty deceptions. I don't think they come to us exactly the same way that they did of the people in Colossae. But they're coming to us. And I believe God wants us to be free from them. Father, thank you for the magnificence of what Christ has done. And Lord, for the magnificence of who he is. The words still ring in my mind as it was sung. By us and to us, what a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, Lord, may we exalt in him and what he has accomplished on our behalf, I ask in his precious name. Amen.